Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Clayton Rasmussen. Welcome to the podcast, Clayton. Thank you for having me. Clayton is going to share his story as a gay or a queer Latter-day Saint. I'll let him introduce that part of himself. In fact, this whole story, he um, recently came home from a mission, a successful mission in New York, speaking Spanish. Um, Thanks for all the good work you did in New York. And is a BYU student. He's in his first year at BYU, three more years to go. He's a PR major with a double minor in creative writing and Spanish. Would love to work at the New York Times and social media at some point. Um, He's also going to talk about Rainbow Collective, an on and off campus club that he and others have put together. But we're just sort of inviting you into the middle of if you're queer and LDS, being at BYU is sort of the the intersection of this. Of course, the intersection wards all around the country. I don't want to minimize anybody else's experience, but I think the most of this conversation is occurring at BYU. And some of it's really good and some of it's sometimes painful. And Clayton is in the middle of that intersection. So I'm just glad he's on the podcast and is willing to share his story. He'll talk about coming out. Um, sort of coming to terms with sexual orientation. I'm talking to, about this on with his mission president, his mission president's wife, and then his decision to go to BYU and what it's like being um, at BYU. Do you tell how do you label yourself, Clayton? I label myself as gay. Okay. So I'm going to call you gay for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, that was perfect. Clayton grew up in Salt Lake City, a rival high school. Um, Skyline High School has been a rival of our local high school. You guys always beat us in everything. So, oh, well, not always, but it's a great school. So anyway, I'll just let you start. You can start in middle school or anything, you wherever you want to start. Awesome. Yeah, I guess we can just like start from the beginning. <laughs> um, how like it all started, I guess. Um, I think for me, when I first realized that I was gay, was I think this is like a common age was around eighth grade so like in 2014 um and i just noticed that i found like other middle school guys attractive but at that time i don't think i ever realized like who or like what it meant to be a gay man like i had heard the term gay but i just assumed it with like the stereotype like girly guy or like um yeah, I just never put those two together of exactly what that meant. And so I just like went around and w- would occasionally think, oh, that guy's cute. And I just like ran for a set with like, yeah, you can call a guy cute. Like, that's fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just like went around doing that. Um, but also after those kind of like influences started coming in a little bit more and I started... Um, you know, in church, you learn about homosexuality and how that's sin. And I started thinking about that a lot more and just how like those thoughts were sin. And so from that point on, anytime like I got like a gay impulse or a gay thought, I would instantly just reinforce it with, oh, you can't be thinking about that because that's sin or um, you can't, you can't be thinking about that, about, about that individual. And I just reinforce it with, you're straight. You can't be thinking these things. Um, and stuff like that. And so I was just kind of going through that in eighth grade. How old are you in eighth grade? I can't remember. You, I think 14. 14? Okay. 14. Okay. Yeah. 
And so at that time, yeah, I was just kind of like dealing with that. But it, it got to the point where it was just like an immediate response. And so I wasn't even having to think about it. It would just I'd get that thought and instantly I'd just like quench the fire, um, quench the flame before it got anything more. And so I thought that was really interesting, just kind of like reflecting on that and just like realizing that I was like just like straight teaching myself, um, kind of similar to Charlie Bird of how he just taught himself to be straight. I was teaching myself to be straight um, as well. And I think another huge experience was a year later. So ninth grade, um, it was like towards the end of the year, I believe. I don't exactly remember how this all happened. Um, but for some reason, there was a conversation that I had with a peer that led to me expressing these like feelings towards this guy that was in one of my classes. And it got to the point where it then like, kind of went to like this friend group and then I was talking to all, like, all the friends of that friend group and then I was realizing that I was like attracted to like a lot of them and so I got to the point where um, we kind of had to like talk about it with the administration and so that was really interesting for me because not only did I like express like feelings that I had never like expressed before but like I kind of like outed myself <laughs> to this like friend group but I never like came to terms with like me being gay at that moment. Like I just thought it was just like, I just did that and, you know, I need to learn from that and not, you know, necessarily be doing that. Um, and I think that was kind of like a critical moment for at least my parents. Um, they just, they kind of realized that I think that was kind of the start of how they began to assume that I was gay. Um, it was kind of like from these experiences where like, um, they're like, oh, like there's a potential potentiality that you know he is gay but they never really said anything and so i don't know i think those are kind of like two key moments in my middle school life at least that kind of spurred things like that and so it's a um, pretty vulnerable experience to just share and i it sounds like you're trying to figure out yourself you're being honest you have i don't know what vocabulary use crushes on guys or just and you're sharing that and then it some it's sort of, I don't know if it escalates a little bit and everybody's trying to figure this out and that I assume can create shame and uncomfortableness and just tension Mm -hmm. that is difficult. Um, There's no inappropriate behavior here. I think you're just being honest with how you feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can just create shame. Any, is that, is that an okay assessment of what happened? Yeah, it totally. Yeah. So after that experience, it was like really awkward. (laughs) Yeah. I used to see them in the halls and stuff because you know, I had these conversations with them, but then, you know, we had to like talk about it and then be like, okay, we can't like really, you know, you know, let's not share about this anymore. And, you know, um, one of my guests called that a vulnerability hangover when he was vulnerable and put himself out there and then it sort of was quiet. Yeah. Everybody just went on as if the vulnerability and it was kind of, it just made him want to not be ever vulnerable again or sort of be open or authentic. And even though he needed people to process with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was like really uncomfortable for like the rest of the year. <laughs> um, but then, yeah. And then I got better, of course, after Good. school ended, I stopped thinking about it, but Good. it was kind of a weird kind of probably two month period. Uh-huh. 
doing a good job, Clayton. Keep sharing. I don't know if ninth grade's junior high or you're in high school at this point. Um, yeah. So in our, at least when I was attending my middle school, it was seventh through ninth grade, um, but it's now changed. So I went up to Skyline High School in tenth grade. Um, and when I was up at high school, I joined the swim team with a couple of my best friends. Well, yeah, my little friend group. Um, and we did that for four years. So I swam wow. competitively for four years. Wow. Um, and I enjoyed every minute of that. It was a great experience. It's a great workout. Um, I learned a lot of, um, a lot of life lessons in swimming, surprisingly enough. Um, and I mean, our coach was resilient. He's won dozens of state awards and coaches of the year. Um, and so he taught me a lot of amazing principles of, um, dedication and hard work and perseverance. And, um, he saw like a lot of potential in myself. I mean, he saw a lot of potential in every swimmer. He wanted us to perform to our fullest and, and he constantly worked on us and, um, pulled us aside and told us little things that we need to work on and pushed us harder during practices, called us out. Um, he did everything that he could to, um, really help us develop and, um, I'm really grateful for that experience of his coaching and just learning how to um, just learn who I'm like. I learned a little bit more about myself and like focused on at least my physical health a lot more, which is really good. And I mean, on a swim team and being gay, that <laughs> can be kind of interesting experience because you're swimming with basically half naked men. Um, and during that time, it like would come in like waves, I would probably say. Like I wasn't constantly thinking about it, but there'd be instances where like we were showering and like, or, you know, we were at a swim practice or swim meet. And I just had to constantly keep training myself. Like you can't be staring or, you know, you can't be looking or um, just change as quick as you can and get out of the locker room, stuff like that. Just so I didn't leave myself in that kind of like vulnerable state of like staring or uh, in a way that someone could perceive like, Oh, I think he's gay or stuff like that. Because I mean, in locker rooms, you hear all sorts of slurs and stuff like that. And I mean, I never heard anything, anything really about gay men or anything like that, which was really nice, but it was just, I don't want to be outed to, my team in high school. Like I didn't want to be that vulnerable again. Um, and so I think I just kept straight teaching myself again, um, especially in the swim team where I was in kind of a more vulnerable state, at least because I was with all these nice looking men that were, you know, that I saw. Um, you used a term there and I think you're referencing that Charlie Bird used to use, you used it straight teaching. Mm hmm just if anybody hasn't, you've, I think you've defined that pretty well, Clayton, but just, just define that for anybody just so they understand. I think an easy definition of that is taking gay impulses and turning them into straight impulses. And I don't know. I guess that was kind of complicated, but I like that. I think taking those impulses and just turning them into straight impulses and the, the hope that it will make you straight. I think. Um, and I mean, it kind of works in the moment, it changes your mindset, but obviously, I mean, it 
didn't make me straight. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, what were, tell our listeners what your, I, I don't know, swim terminology, your best strokes, your best events. Yeah. Best- so on the swim team, I swam the 50 freestyle, the 100 freestyle, the 200 freestyle. Um, and then I also did the 400 free relay and the 200 free relay. And so those relays, you have like four people on a relay. And so with the 200, you each swim a 50 meter swim. And then the 400 is everyone swims 100. Um, and so they're more like sprint based, obviously, um, because they're split out throughout the meet schedule, but they're both some of the highest scoring like events of the meet. And so um, the kind of like the best swimmers are put on those relays just so that we can try to win those points. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I mostly swam was just freestyle. I, I tried backstroke, <laughs> um, but I didn't go to it that well. So I'm a freestylist. Great job. Um, and thanks for being honest about that. Um, that's pretty vulnerable just to be honest. And I think it helps others that are listening that I've always felt impressed that there's a lot of listeners that are listening that are younger, maybe in junior high, that this is their sort of one of their ways to just get stories of people that are further down the road so they don't feel alone. They don't feel like they're the only one feeling this way. And I think that just gives them feeling they're not alone, which is a great gift you can give somebody through this podcast. For sure. So keep talking about high school or wherever you want to go with this. Yeah. So, I mean, swimming took up a majority of my time, um, which is great. Um, but I think I was, I was just so busy in high school that I never had a lot of time to like think about my like sexuality, I would say. And I think it got to the point where, you know, turning 16 is a big milestone because that like when you can, you know, go on date and stuff like that. And that was around the time all my friend group was starting dating girls and all these, all this stuff. And like deep, deep down, like I was so like anxious about it because it was like, but I'm not attracted to women, but all my friends are going out with women. And like most of my school is going out with women. So to fly under the radar, like I need to go out with women. And so I felt kind of bad trying to, you know, ask other girls to go out because I didn't like want to lead them on or (laughs) I don't want to like have them find out I was gay or stuff like that. And so I mostly chose close friends that I made in classes and stuff like that to take to school dances. Um, And so that was really helpful for me because we just had a really fun time as friends, which is really great for me because I was kind of like blending in with all my friends with their dates. And so that's kind of how I navigated dating in high school was I just chose close friends and we just went and did group activities. It was mostly group dates, which was really nice. So you didn't have the fear of, you know, like, do I need a kisser or like, you know, stuff like that. It was more like, we're just here having fun. We're just bowling and getting gelato or we're going to go watch a movie. Um, Just really low key dating experiences that didn't have to force me into a more vulnerable state. Um, And so that was great just being with that friend group all the way up until the end of my junior year. And then that summer was the summer like where we all got jobs. And so we were all like really busy 
So I didn't really see my group of friends a lot during the summer. Um, and so it was towards like the beginning of the school year and we like got back together at this, yeah, start of school and all my friends were like sharing these experiences that they've had together without me. And so I was, I felt a little betrayed and like confused at like why they were having these experiences, but I was not there because we, we did everything together. I always made sure to invite everyone. And I was the person that just made sure that everyone was invited, but a particular friend in that friend group um, would go out of his way to invite everyone else except me. And so um, the beginning of my senior year was kind of rocky. It was kind of rough with friends because this friend group was not like inviting me into things. And I don't know exactly what spurred the exclusion. I don't know if that one friend figured out I was gay. I don't know exactly. He never gave me, I mean, he kind of gave me a definite answer later on that we were never friends, but <laughs> um, it was never like a sure, like one thing about me that no one else wanted to invite me into things. And so this kind of exclusion made me want to find a new friend group. And so I like broke off from this friend group and I found this other friend group that we met every day in like the choir room. The choir teacher would have will allow students into his classroom to eat and sometimes his music students or um, the orchestra would be practicing in there. And so like we would have music and um, it was just a great environment because um, there's a huge group of friends that were all members and they're all so inviting. Like I love them to pieces. Um, And we just meet there every day for lunch. And it was like a complete contrast for my friend group because my friend group would be on their phones the whole time, like watching YouTube or I don't know, texting. They'd just be on their phones. But this other friend group, um, we would all just be talking about like a potential temple trip or, you know, what we liked from general conference. Like it was just really great 30 minutes of just like socialization. That was great. Um, and in that group, I met an individual, a really close friend of mine. And she made me feel like accepted and loved. And we just had a really fun time together. And so we started going on a couple of dates together. Um, and I actually eventually took her to two dances my senior year to prom and I believe winters. Um, and that was just a great time because we were just having a great time together. And it got to the point where my friends and the other friend group were starting to date like have like steadily with their girlfriends. And so I, then I felt alienated because we would still be together on the swim team. So when I was there with them, they would be talking about the girlfriends or like the dates that they were going on. So I like felt alienated, but I also felt like, Oh, I need a girlfriend now. Like everyone else has a girlfriend, (laughs) which I highly recommend not doing because high school relationships are just not good. But, um, and so I like talked with this close friend of mine because my friends were like pressuring me. They're like, you and this individual, like you should go out together. Like you should be dating. So we talked about it. Um, I believe after winters, when we went on a dance together, it was like that night we were just talking about it. And we're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And so we steadily dated for like maybe two months, three months, but I got to the point where it was like the end of our senior year and we were getting so busy and like, I was leaving on my mission and she was 
um, heavily getting ready for her major. And so we were just like, let's just not define ourselves as a boyfriend and girlfriend, but we'll be really, really close friends. Um, And so that was a really good experience of um, just finding someone that, you know, loved me for who I was. Um, And I didn't feel like I had to like fly under the radar with her. I mean, I didn't come out to her until later on, um, but I felt normal with her. Like I felt like I was straight. (laughs) And so that really helped, I think, just mentally and socially, especially just get through that last little bit of senior year. Good job. It just helps other people that are probably in the middle of their senior year walk, you know, so good job on that, Clayton. Um, Talk about, yeah, your mission. You go to New York. I don't know. Just talk about that. You could talk about, did you come out to anybody? You don't need to before your mission or there's no requirement to come out to anybody. So you could talk about. (laughs) There's no benchmark for, (laughs) you know. Um, So no, before my mission, I didn't come out to anyone. Um, Obviously, just because of church culture, I just felt like I was, that part of me was a sin. And like, I just had to like exterminate that part of me. Um, and so obviously I tried to do that through you know, straight talking myself and I chose to serve a mission primarily because I, I wanted to, I just said it a long time ago that I was going to serve a mission. Um, and then I just knew that it was kind of like required of me. My parents let me know that they really wanted me to, but I wasn't forced to, but I felt like I needed to go on my mission. And so I got my mission called to New York city, Spanish speaking, which when I first opened the call, I was super ecstatic to have New York City. Um, but in middle school, I had taken Spanish courses and I had, didn't learn anything. So I was not happy about Spanish. And so I just went into the MTC with a mindset like, I'm going to master this language. It's going to be good. I'm going to learn things. Let's just, you know, let's just get through these next six weeks. So I went down to the Mexico MTC, which is a great experience. My district was amazing and we just had a great six weeks um down in mexico learning spanish every day um and it was a great time i mean our days were filled with studying and practicing and and so i never really had um any like impulses or waves of gay emotions in the mgc i mean there was several times where we were in our casas or the houses and usually those house like 24 other elders and so there was times where i'd see like other elders in our you know in our casa and you know we're all in like nice clothes so we're all looking handsome <laughs> and occasionally like i'd see one elder and i'd be like oh he's cute but instantly you know redirect that i'm a missionary i can't be thinking about that and so it never got to the point where i felt like i needed to talk to someone it was it was very minimal and while I was in the MTC, I had another friend reach out to me and kind of like voice these you know, feelings that they were having. And um, it was really interesting to me because I was on my mission and I was trying to figure out how they fit into like the plan of salvation. And I was trying to figure out how I could like support them while on my mission, I was like trying to figure out all these things. And so in my free time, I try to like study up on it. Uh, and reading the scriptures and trying to find things. And I would just send them on P-Day, just kind of like reassurances, like, you know, maybe we won't know now, but 
maybe in the future or, you know, like I support you. I love you. You know, all those things I could, you know, from a distance. And so I think that really helped them kind of through their process. And I don't believe they came out to their parents well for a while. So we were just talking about it. She, they hadn't opened up or anything to anyone except me and a couple of their close friends. So um, they were just trying to contemplate things. And so, yeah. And after that experience, I then flew to New York city um, and I got there like seven months before COVID-19 started. So I got kind of like the full experience before and during and kind of after COVID. And so days were just heavily spent getting on the trains and talking to people, which like it kind of sounds, I mean, when I heard about it, I was like, oh yeah, I can just go talk to people on a train, but you get on a train and like the most terrifying experience of my life. Like I'm an extrovert, but I was struggling to like talk to people on the train, especially in Spanish, but most importantly, just talking to anyone. It was so nerve wracking because New Yorkers are very hard shelled. And so you have to like break through that shell first and then it's good. They're like gooey on the inside, but it's just like getting them to take out the AirPods or like to stop watching that video or to like look at you and engage in a conversation. Like just that part was just so nerve wracking. But our missionaries were filled with attracting and teaching. And so I never really was focused on kind of my sexuality either. Like I was just so busy that I didn't really cross my mind. Um, and it, and it was good all the way up till like March 17th. Um, St. Patrick's day is when we went into COVID. I mean, no, not into COVID. We went into quarantine. And so that was a unique experience because I was up in Stanford, Connecticut at the time. And I was with a companion. I would say we worked well together, like teaching and trying to find people. But other than that, like we didn't connect at all. We kind of like butted heads a little bit with just certain things. And so like those first couple of weeks in quarantine were really tough. Um, and so I was just like trying to like get through those couple of weeks. And in our mission, Facebook was huge. Before I got there, we were doing a Facebook fast. Well, when I first got there, we were doing a Facebook fast. Then we worked on it a little bit, but discontinued in December because it was just not really effective and going out and talking to people was a lot more effective for our mission. But when COVID hit, our mission president revamped kind of our social media efforts and we put a lot of money into like advertising and getting um, social media specialists or people who were in charge of like a Facebook page that had like, I want to say like maybe 15 to 20 missionaries on it. And we were just trying to use Facebook to find people. And how we did that was um, we would go to like Facebook groups. We would just go to like the suggested friends and we would just like add, just add all these strangers. <laughs> and at first I was really hesitant because I was like, you know, we're taught not to talk to strangers. <laughs> you know, like we don't, you don't message people you don't know, but as a missionary, you know, it's invite all people to come to Christ. And so that applies to social media. So we are just, you know, adding people. Obviously we would look through the profiles and if there was anything that wasn't good or inappropriate, like obviously we would not follow them. But for the most part, we would just, you know, just go down the chain and I would just be friending hundreds of people every day. 
And so I was finding all these people and I was finding a lot of interested people and we started teaching a lot of people up, up in Connecticut with Facebook. And it was really cool. We would just call them through Facebook Messenger and just share a brief message. And then you know, we would have next lesson and all these things. And it was just all stemmed from me friending them and then starting a gospel conversation with them and then asking them you know, a question like, do you believe there's a God or do you want to know what happens after death? Stuff like that. And I got to the point where I was like friending all these people. And then I hit this chain of like gay men. <laughs> and I was getting into all these like friend circles because Facebook, you know, yeah. algorithms start showing you like friends that are friends of that person. So if I found a gay individual, I'd most likely find another gay individual and then find like their whole friend group. So I would find all these people and I, you know, I would just message them like normal and just try to spark this gospel conversation and we would get chatting. And then eventually a question about my sexuality would just pop up. They would just be like, Hey, are you gay? Or something like that. And I would send back like, what makes it seem like I'm gay or like what makes me look gay? Or I just ask them like, what makes you say that essentially? And they'd just be like, well, you just, you just are (laughs) like, they could just tell. And I think that's, a thing about a lot of queer people, like we can just tell, <laughs> like a lot of people just have good intuition. Um, and it might be the way that, you know, I'm talking or I don't know. I don't know exactly how they figured it out, but I would just instantly like deny. I'd just be like, no, I'm, you know, I'm just a straight missionary. Again, just straight teaching myself, even in text conversations. And they'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, and sometimes it'd get to the point where like, they wanted to meet up or, you know, do other things. And so I would have to, you know, block them and move on. And so I think those experiences kind of like started leading to like me coming out. I eventually from Stanford, I moved to Queens. Um, and that was a really hard area. That's one of the hardest areas in our mission. And it closed during COVID. So I blinded into the area, which means me and my companion had never been in the area. We didn't know anyone. And I was promoted. Uh, no, I was like just called as a zone leader. So that means like I watched over, you know, 20, 25 missionaries and all the elders in that area. And so I was learning how to be a zone leader in the area that I had never been trying to find people. It was in the middle meant, of COVID New in York. Middle, yeah. Middle of COVID. And I mean, Queens is one of the Queens hot spots. Queens is an epicenter in the beginning yeah, of COVID. Epicenter. Yeah. So it was really hard, like emotionally and mentally, I think for me and my companion, it was every night we would just talk about like how hard the day was and it was just mentally draining. And again, I was meeting all these gay people in Queens. There's a huge gay population in Queens. And, you know, I'd have to, you know, keep that guideline of like, okay, if they're talking about this, like I need to block them, move on. And eventually we got a media referral or someone who got online and requested the missionaries and we met with him and he just started sharing about his life. He's from Colombia. I don't exactly remember his name, but he shared with us that he had to flee his home country because he was gay. And it just really touched me because here I am sitting there closeted as a queer, I mean, as a gay Latter-day Saint and having to hear the story of this guy who had to be outed of his country just based on his sexual orientation. And it just really touched me because I was like, I wasn't out of Utah 
but I feel outed in Utah. But I wasn't threatened, you know, I wasn't chased out by guns and knives. And he voiced to us that he wanted to change. He was living with his boyfriend and he wasn't feeling happy. And so that was a really neat experience for me and my companion to figure out how can we teach, you know, about the gospel when we know there's certain policies in the church that can make it difficult for a gay man or, you know, a queer Latter-day Saint. And so me and my companion after that call, we just like talked about it and we're just like, let's not focus on the policies. Let's focus on the doctrine of, you know, the plan of salvation and living with his family forever and the joy and the, the hope. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I wanted to teach him. I didn't want to teach him about, so you're going to be joining a church that you can't, you know, be in a gay relationship. You know, you can't act on it. And so that's what we focused on. And eventually I was moved out of that area. And so I believe, I don't believe he's being taught right now. I do know that the elders did try. And just with the situation, he couldn't move out in which that's kind of part of the repentance process is um, being away from influences that could tempt him. And I do know that he had a son that they adopted and he really wanted them to join the church. So I do know that there's hope and hopefully um, this gay man and Queens eventually can get enough money to move out of his apartment. Um, But that was just such a cool experience for me to kind of figure out how to I guess, be inclusive of the queer community (laughs) while being so closeted. And after moving from Queens, um, my mission president actually asked me, so I was in Queens being zone leader. I totally forgot this. I was also a social media specialist at that time. So I was running a Facebook page. So I was already doing all the responsibilities here. (laughs) And I got a call from my mission president that I was moving to the Bronx, which for those who don't know where the Bronx is, if you know where Manhattan is, it's just like, just a little bit above Manhattan. It's just like a little small section above Manhattan. And that, I mean, that's where the Yankee Stadium is. So for those baseball fans out there. And I got called to the Bronx. And then I was also, later on, he asked me to join Instagram. So there was a sister missionary in our mission that had an idea that Facebook was kind of reaching the older generation but we wanted to reach the youth. And so she was like, how about we use Instagram? And so she had been beta testing Instagram on her own for a little bit, but our mission president was ready to, he was ready to move on to Instagram. And so he recruited me and another elder and then four other sisters. So there's just six of us. Um, and we were all tasked to figure out how to find on Instagram, which is a daunting task coming from like, no previous knowledge like with Facebook we had people that had worked on Facebook for a long time but Instagram we had nothing like I don't know how to share the gospel or find people on Instagram and I had used Instagram you know, for several years before the mission so I moved to the Bronx and I was on Instagram and again I kind of started finding all these people you know trying to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ I found a couple of people we put a couple of people on baptismal date and then I like found a guy that I was like attracted to and we, and I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to message him. So I like put him on the side, but then I found like these other guys. And again, we like started a conversation like normal. And then I found, you know, they asked me if I was gay 
And by this point, I've probably had over a hundred people ask me if I was gay. Uh, <laughs> and so then I just like really started like internalizing it a lot more and just like, am I gay? Like all these people are asking if I am gay. So I must be gay. And so during my personal study from like that point on, probably for maybe two months, several weeks, like in my personal study, I would spend part of my time trying to like look at church resources because as missionaries, we have very restricted um, methods or like real, real, like restricted phones. So like we cannot just search up anything on the internet. And so I would look at church resources and I would say they're decent. I'd say they could improve a lot more. It was helpful for me to realize that like my sexuality, I think in the same sex attraction section that says like your sexuality is very spiritual. Um, and you should prayerfully consider you know, your pronouns and stuff like that. And so that's what I was doing. I was, I was kind of praying about that, but I was also praying for it to go away. I do remember like one fast I came, one fast Sunday came around and I was like, I'm going to fast for some straight impulses or like for God to like take away like this mental process <laughs> of me thinking, me, uh, like of me thinking that I was gay because I was thinking about it a ton during these weeks and it was just constantly just like any, any free time I'd be like, okay, I need to research this. I need to think more about this. And I was praying about it. I was fasting. I was studying the scriptures. I was like trying to do everything I could to be worthy of like a blessing from God to like bless me to be straight because I didn't want to have to deal with, you know, being a gay Latter-day Saint, especially being a gay missionary. Like just the thought of that and coming out to my companion, like just stuff like that. I was just so afraid. And I just remember getting down on my knees one night and I just like was crying silently, like into my pillow. And I just like got this confirmation, like, this is who you are. I'm not going to take that away from you. And then I was like, okay, so I'm gay. Like, what's the next step? And, you know, you hear experiences from people of coming out and there's the good coming out and there's the bad coming out. And I, I honestly didn't know where my parents would lie because I did know like growing up, like my mom, you know, of course wants us to get married in the temple and have those experiences. But then once I started realizing like, I might not even have that, that like broke my heart, but it was mostly because I'd be breaking my mom's heart or so I thought. And I was like, I can't tell her that I'm gay because I'd break your heart. And especially since I'm on a mission, I'm half across the country. Like I just can't do that to my mom. But at this time it was, I was about 18 months out. So I was like, I have six more months. Can I like keep going through this like eternal dialogue of like, I'm gay, but I can't do anything about it. And I can't, you know, I can't act on it. I have to be straight. Or do I like come to terms with my, you know, my reality and come out to my parents? So for several weeks on P day, I'd like go into like, okay, I'm going to come out to my parents, but then I would shy away from it and wait till next week. But every single week that I put off, it like got more excruciating for me just to sit there and just be like, I have this thing that I want to tell you, but I am so afraid. And I remember again, I prayed to God. I was like, okay, just get my mom on the video call because me and my mom, I'd say have the closest relationship. Like I'm close with my dad, but I would say I share a lot more about my personal 
struggles with my mom. And it just so happened that PD that both of my siblings were busy with school activities and my dad was busy at work. <laughs> so I had this, I usually call it for two hours. So I had this like two hour block with my mom. And so we spent like probably the majority of the time just, just chatting like normal. And it got to the point where I was like, should I just sign off? Like, should I just end early? And I just kept having like this like tug at like my chest. It's like, you just need to tell her. And so I remember I was just like, mom, I have something to tell you. And I just remember breaking down in tears. And like when I see other people cry, like I cry more. <laughs> so my mom starts crying. So we're like, just like reflecting each other and just crying. And I just like, just started talking to her. Like I've had these experiences on my mission and in the past. And I think I'm gay. And then I just started talking to her about like, what, you know, what's my future? You know, like, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gay. And she just like eternalized it all and just let me kind of talk about it. And then she just opened up with first, like, I just want to let you know that, you know, dad and I love you. And that just really like hit me like instantly, like she didn't, you know, like, of course she cares about me, but being gay wasn't enough for her to turn me away or, you know, anything. It was just, that's who I am. And so we talked about it for a little bit of, you know, what should I do? You know, should I tell people, you know, we kind of went through that talk of like, how are we going to go about this? And so we decided, we mutually decided since I had six months left that we were just going to keep it kind of under the rug. So I guess I kind of like stepped kind of back into the closet, but I wasn't like really in the closet. Um, and so that's how we decided and how we decided it. And that was all. And we ended the video call and I just felt so much better. It felt like honestly, like a weight just off my chest. And ever since that day for the rest of my mission, I like have labeled this as like godly love, but I just feel like I was just so open to love because not only was I just fully accepted who I was, I think that was the major part was I had gone through all my life, like hating a part of myself, but finally I was loving like my complete self. And so I would just go out every day. We'd walk to the church and I'd just see all these people and I'd just be like, I wish I could talk to you, but because of COVID, I can't. Um, but I just love every single one of you. I love the guy smoking over there. I love, you know, the lady shrieking scripture of a different church or, you know, I just love all these people. And I was just filled with so much love, not only for myself, but just for every single New Yorker. And that was an amazing experience for me just to realize like, this is how God feels <laughs> towards his children. And it's just like stemming from me. And it was just every day. It was just like just radiating love for myself and just being true to myself. Um, and that was really great. And I would say probably a week or so after I was like, Hey mom, I'm just gonna message my mission president and just let him know that I came out. So that's what I did. I just sent him a brief message like, Hey, like this is what I've been going through these past couple months. And I just let him know that I was gay. And he instantly emailed me the same day, which <laughs> President Tushar would, you know, mission presidents usually take a week to respond. And he was good at responding um, to my emails, at least. I mean, he tried to respond to all his missionaries, but you know, he's over 200 missionaries. And he immediately responded that night just with his love and his, his and his wife's love and appreciation for me for letting them know 
for my service. And then also just like their phone lines were open 24 seven. He, I think he even included it in the email. Like if you need to call us at 3am, call us. <laughs> like he was just so open to have that kind of channel open. And so that was really, really helpful for me to know that I had my mission president support and my parents support. And so like, that was kind of all I needed. I didn't really care about my companion support that much. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to keep acting the same way as I have. And we're just going to kind of fly under the radar. So, <laughs> and so the rest of my time with my companions, I had great companions the rest of my time. And I was in the last two transfers of my mission and I got moved to Long Island. I was binded in again and I was training a missionary. And so that was a whole experience within itself. Training for me was both difficult and both enlightening. And I cherished every moment of it. I really loved my, my trainee. And we got along perfectly. But it was also, I had to kind of figure out how to still keep myself kind of closeted to him. But also kind of just, you know, just try to be myself. And so again, I was training and I was social media specialist. So I was busy. And so I wasn't really thinking about it as much as anymore. And I wasn't really meeting anyone in Long Island that was gay, which was kind of nice. I didn't have to, I didn't have to worry about that conversation, that dialogue with people. And eventually President and Sister Tucher completed their mission. And so it was kind of a weird transfer period. It was like two weeks into the last transfer that they left, I believe. And then that's when like, the new mission president came in. And so on P-Day, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to send like a get-to-know-you email before I leave. I mean, I only have four weeks, but we're going to at least interact at least once or twice while I'm you know, serving since I'm a trainer and I'm in the leadership. So I sent that mission president just a brief email, just like, this is who I am. This is, you know, where I grew up. And then I just added like a little blip where I just recently came out five months ago and I talked with President Tushar about it and we had no problems with like my service or my conduct or anything. And I remember we were returning home late from an appointment. There was a couple that we were teaching and we would have to teach them like at 8.30 at night. And then we usually just took the, Took, took an hour to teach him and then we were just like booking it back home before 9 30 <laughs> and we were like rushing inside so i hadn't noticed that my phone was ringing and so i had a missed call from this mission president which was like i think every time you get a call from your mission president i don't know there's like i you kind of get anxious like oh what does he call me about like there's something wrong am i getting transferred you know emergency transferred you never know like what he's calling about right because you normally don't get called by your mission president that much so I was like a little nervous because I knew what I talked about in my email. So I remember calling him back and he was like, is this Elder Rasmussen? Like, yeah. And he's like, okay, we need to talk. But it was like in the tone where it didn't seem like, yeah, let's go talk. But it was like more like we need to talk, like kind of negative. And he's like, I need to find a quiet room. So I like went to the room and I had to like close the door. And we like taught, I don't know how long we talked for. I would probably say like 30, 45 minutes. But that phone call, I wouldn't say I'm like so traumatized by it, but for a while I was traumatized by it because he went into like, I read your email and I'm really concerned. It was like, 
He's like, I need to know everything about your conduct. I need to know opinions that you've told. Like he just went to this whole dialogue of like, tell me who you've told. Do other missionaries know? Like, do we have to relocate you? Like all these things in which I just kind of felt violated in a sense because that's very personal information. I mean, I can understand like why you need to know if I told any mission companions, but like specifics, like my sexuality and like coming out to people is very personal. Like I view that very personal, like personally. And I think every individual should view that personally. You don't, you should never feel like you have to come out. Um, That's like a personal choice. And I chose, you know, to do that more steadily. And just having this mission president I, that I hadn't met in person, I didn't really know, you know, talking to him, he was like talking in this tone that I feel was not very inviting of the spirit. And he was just like, I'm trying to remember the conversation I had. I can't really remember. I think I've just blocked it from my mind, but I do remember him re- recall him saying like, I need to know if you're gay, because I probably need to tell your companion's parents. And I remember asking him like, why does his parents need to know that I am gay? And he was like, well, for example, if you were with my son as a missionary, like I would like to know that you were gay. And I don't know from, I just feel like that's not a necessary item to know. And I didn't have any feelings towards my, any of my companions. I didn't have like any, like conduct, misconduct in the mission. Like I wasn't doing anything. And so it just felt like very unneeded questions that were really targeted towards me. And he eventually opened up to me to ask questions. And I just told him, like, I talked with President Tusher and he told me that I could tell people I was a gay missionary. And he told me, well, the church actually tells us that you cannot tell people that you're a gay missionary. And I was really confused. And so I like asked him, so I was like, so do I have to tell people I'm straight? And he's like, yes. Well, he was like, well, you don't even need to say that you're straight. You just have to say you're a missionary. But it, in my mind, what I was thinking was, well, I can't lie about who I am. First of all, as a missionary, like I can't be lying to people. And if people honestly just ask me, are you gay? Like I would happily say, yeah, I'm a gay missionary. Like I'm part of a Christian church. Like, here's how you can become part of, you know, God's gospel. And he told me, like, if you have any problems with that and telling people you're gay, like, we can just send you on a flight home on Delta tomorrow. And that was really shocking to me to hear that from my mission president. Well, I'd say I call him the mission president. I don't call him my mission president. And then I was like, all right, well... I mean, I'm talking to gay individuals right now. Is that a problem? And he told me, he's like, you can't talk to any LGBTQ people at all. And I mean, I didn't tell this to him, but in my mind, I was like, well, how is that completing my missionary purpose? Invite all to come into Christ. Invite all queer people to come into Christ. Like, I'm not, I'm not like going after gay people just to like chat with them and, you know, hook up with them. I'm honestly trying to teach them how they can live the gospel and have these amazing experiences that I've had in the church with their families. And so that was really upsetting for me. And so I just remember ending the phone call and it was after P-Day, but I was like in this mental situation where I was like, 
how can I spend these next four weeks under his stewardship when I, he doesn't even trust like my conduct or who I am. So it's like going through this, another internal monologue. And so I just messaged my parents, <laughs> which is not, it's against rules, but I just felt in that instance, like they were my only safe space and they were the only people that knew besides the mission president that I was gay. So I just sent a couple of messages to my parents and then it's time for bed. So I went to bed and then I woke up to my, several messages from my mom and she's like, you got to tell me everything. Like, well, we can call him, we can talk to him. And I was like, no, like, <laughs> like I'm not a confrontational person. And so I was like, no, don't do that for me. Or like, no, like it's fine. And then I just remember that beginning of the day, I was still, I was still like trying to process everything that happened to me. And I was still so angry. And so I was like, mom, like, I think I just need to take that plane ticket home. Like, I don't think I can be here anymore. And she's like, you have four weeks. Like you've enjoyed your mission. You know, just imagine like those four weeks that you miss. And I was like, that's so true. Like, I think I can be willing to like put, you know, the struggle on the altar and focus on the people and other people for these four weeks rather than, you know, having to deal with this. And I remember my mom, my mom, she texted me. She's like, just ask to call home. Like you just need to call home. So I was like, all right, we'll see what he says. So I text him and he actually responded pretty quick. And he's like, let's call now. So he called me again, but at this moment I was not prepared to talk to him. I didn't know what to say. And so he's like, what's up? Like, we answered and he's like, what's up? You know, what's the problem? And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking to you. I don't feel like you're a safe space for me. So we just briefly chatted and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then we just hung up. And as I just came to the conclusion, like, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing because I know what's right. I know what I've been doing is true. And I know how I'm, you know, handling things with, you know, gay situations. Like I'm doing a good job. Um, and I know what I need to be doing. I know that I'm not trying to sneak out to see a guy. I know that I'm not supposed to be engaging in these things that you know other people may engage in. And so I was just like, I'm just going to get through these four weeks. So I did, <laughs> I'm sitting here. And I mean, it was difficult when I saw him in person because I felt Again, I felt not safe. And, you know, when I, whenever we engage in a conversation, I just felt like it was kind of like lies coming out of his teeth, kind of. It didn't feel, what's the word? It didn't feel true. Like it didn't feel like true love or like it didn't feel like true support when he was like, oh, I love you, Elder Rasmussen. I love what you're doing. Like it didn't really feel like accepting at all. Um, and so that was, I guess, the difficult part but I just kind of like refocused myself on the work and I was just like let's I'm gonna try to do as much as I can these four weeks and in those four weeks we baptized two people and they have become like lifelong friends to me and I just keep thinking about like what if (laughs) I'd gone home you know would they have been baptized I honestly don't know but I do know all the hard work that I put into planning things and coordinating things with church leaders. And um, I mean, we sped taught one of them because he was a member. Well, he was 
baptized but didn't have records. We had to rebaptize him. So he already knew a lot of the content. So we just sped taught him in like three weeks and got him baptized. <laughs> but there's just things like that that I feel like couldn't have happened had I gone home. I'm sh- I mean, sure, you know, they probably would have gotten baptized in the future, but I just feel like that was the reason why I was there, of course, but also um, why I chose to stay was for them. And I just remember flying home and then getting home and that was a great experience just to see family and just be back to like my safe space. Um, and then the next day, actually, we went camping. <laughs> um, my dad does um, trail running. So there's a race up in Afton, Wyoming. And it's a 50K, I believe. And he's been doing that um, for the past five years. And this was his fifth year. And the fifth year, you get a belt buckle to celebrate like your five times that you've run it. And I wanted to be there for that. So um, I drove up with them the next day and we went camping for a week. Um, he did his race and then we spent a couple of days just in Wyoming in the, in the mountains. And it was a great time just to like disconnect from social media, be with family. And it was just a way for me to talk with like my family about kind of the next steps forward because you know, school is starting in a couple of weeks. I got home August 4th. So I had three weeks until school started and I was going to BYU. And I mean, I applied to BYU way before I knew I was gay and the problems <laughs> that are at BYU right now. And so had I known that I was gay before going to BYU, I don't know if that would have affected it a lot, but I would have considered obviously going to BYU a lot more had I known I was gay. And um, I was just talking with my mom and just kind of steps forward. And at that time, I had kind of gone out in waves of telling people. So by the time I had gotten home, my parents had told both of their sides of the family that I was gay. And it was cute. My mom sent me an email with all the text responses from her siblings. It's a great idea. And that was really cute. And it was just full of 100% support, which is great. And the same on my dad's side. I got several emails from like my cousins and uh, it was really awesome just to see all their support just made coming home a lot easier for me. Um, And while camping, I was thinking about publicly coming out and I went about it prayerfully. I was praying about it. Like, do I need to come out? Like, or am I good to just kind of keep it under the books? And I just kept having this kind of feeling of you need to come out publicly. There's, someone on your social media feed or there's someone that you have met or going to meet that needs to know your story that needs to know that there is so much light coming out there is so much hope there's people that love you you know there is community in utah especially there's community at byu you know there's individuals that will love you and you know if you don't exactly get that from your family which really pains me to say but you can get it from other people. You can get it from close friends. You can get it from, you know, your neighbor, your ward member, you know, your college professor. And so when I, the day we left to go back home, once we got into cellular range, <laughs> I posted my coming out post. And I feel like a lot of the time there's like the cliche coming out post where it's like a really long rant and it's like kind of flashy and I felt like I didn't want to be that type. Like, I'm kind of flashy sometimes, but I feel like I don't want to be so dramatic. 
I, I don't want to say every coming out is dramatic, but there's like a cliche where it's kind of dramatic. And so I was just like, I just want to just say I'm gay. And that's all I want to say. And so I just did like a little blip of like how my mission helped me kind of find myself. And I just wanted to share with everyone that I'm gay. And I just like turned off my phone and I got home and there's like hundreds of messages I received. And so I spent the next couple of hours like sorting through the comments and direct messages, both on Instagram and Facebook. And um, they were all positive messages from friends, family, people that I taught on my mission. And it was just awesome. Also like the random people that I followed, <laughs> they commented. <laughs> and so it was just great just to see like I had this community that's just so far right spread from all different backgrounds, from all different areas of my life. You know, I have high school teachers that follow me and they responded and um, seminary teachers that I worked with and stuff like that. And so that was really awesome to see like all the support. Like I call it my posse or like my clan. <laughs> like we, I have this community that's just so strong and that really helps me um, stay anchored both in my sexuality and also in my, you know, religion, my religious beliefs. And from that moment on, it's just opened a door to so many amazing experiences. I had two seminary teachers. What well, in my senior year, I'm going to take a back step for a second. I served on seminary council, which is like the student body for seminary, essentially for those that don't know what student, uh, where seminary council is. And I worked with all these seminary teachers. Fast forward to when I came out, two of them reached out to me and one wanted to meet in person and like talk about my experiences. And he had questions about how he can be a safe space in the seminary um, building. Cool. And then, so I met with him and he just asked me all these questions and really shared with me, you know, just the struggles that he has as a seminary teacher because they have, you know, certain policies, like they can't hang pride flags on their room. They can't post things that show them that they're a safe space, but he want, you know, he wanted his students to know, and he had previously put up a flag or like he put a sign on the store, like this is a safe space. And then they had someone higher up in the education system come by and tell him that he had to remove it. And he was really angry about that decision, but, um, he just had to because of his job, but he was just talking to me about this experience he had with a student and just like how he could best help, you know, his students know that he was a safe space without like directly saying it It's more like an indirect way of doing so. And so that was really interesting for me to kind of take a step back of how like he could do that. And, you know, I just shared with him like listening and just like voicing love and support and all areas and walks of life, I think is the best way for him to do that. And with this other seminary teacher, um, he had me call into his classes, I think twice. Um, and I just called in, like briefly shared my story and, and how that kind of ties into faith and how like I'm following God and this journey. And then at the end of each class, he would ask like the students in the classroom, like how many of you know, like a queer individual? And he would tell me like the entire class had to raise their hand. And it was just so cool because the second time I called, he messaged me later on. He's like, I just had a student come to my door and like, she just came out to me oh. as I think transgender. I, don't, I can't remember, but he was just like, how do you not have that conversation with my students? I don't think 
she would have ever come to me, especially because she's like, I know that she was struggling and I didn't know why, but your conversation sparked something in her. And so that was really amazing for me just to see, like, I didn't know that person or that individual, but just sharing my experiences really, you know, changed an individual's life. So from then on, I was getting ready for BYU. <laughs> and I came across something on my feed for Rainbow Collective, the, the club that I'm a part of. And they're like, we need people on the council. And I was like, well, I'm a gay student going to BYU. Like, I love clubs. Like, I love meeting people. And I love helping people, especially. So I was like, I might as well just apply and see if I get in. I got in. Um, and the first meeting, it was great. There was, you know, straight people that are part of the club. There's queer people. There's people that are closeted still, but are open. Well, they're mostly closeted, but they're like open to the council. Um, and there's just a whole variety of people in that club, which is amazing for me just to see like straight people working with queer people, with closeted people. It's just like a great environment. Um, and I just immediately felt like part of a community, especially at BYU when I met them in person, it was great. Um, and so with Rainbow Collective, I mainly work with the merchandise. <laughs> so stickers and pins are kind of my forte and we, um, we sell them. So if you want to follow Rainbow Collective, it's rainbow spelled R-A-Y-N-B-O-W dot collective. Um, we you know, sell a lot of merchandise so that you can show that you're an ally um, and support students in CES schools like BYU or you know, just around the world. Um, and what we do with that, what we mainly do with Rainbow Collective is we're kind of like networking with like businesses and faculty members. And so there's actually a lot of faculty members at BYU that have, um, like stickers from our organization. Um, I, I've delivered several stickers and pins to teachers actually in the past couple of weeks. And so that's just been a cool experience just to see, actually there's so much support at BYU when it, it doesn't seem like it, but there are so many people there. And so anyways, so I joined Rainbow Collective um, and then it's the week leading up to me moving down to BYU. And so that's the Holland speech that we all know about. And I remember seeing that on social media. I read it. I listened to it. And I was like at a crossroads because growing up, Holland was like one of my favorite speakers. I really loved his talks in general conference. But then now that he was kind of attacking, in my sense, it felt a little attacking. I know like a lot of people that, you know, he's not attacking it. And I think it's different, obviously, for every individual. But I was feeling both like, I was feeling mostly attacked um, in my case. And I just remember talking to my mom like a day or so before going down to BYU. I was like, I don't know if I can go down there. And she was like, well, let's see how the first semester goes. <laughs> and if it's, you know, it's very awful for you, like we can consider transferring. And but she also shared, she was like, I feel like this is where you need to go. And we both had felt that when I originally got my uh, like acceptance letter, we both felt like I didn't have a lot going for me <laughs> going into BYU. Like my ACT score wasn't that high, <laughs> like stuff like that. I, like, I didn't feel like I was going to get in. Um, but when I did, I was so ecstatic um, and so excited to go. And then coming out and I was like, oh, like, I'm going to BYU. And now I know all these policies, like the honor code. And, um, so that week was really rough for me 
just like accepting going down to BYU because like I don't know what's it going to be like down there. Is there going to be like writing? Is there going to be like I don't know what's going to happen, especially the the queer community and straight community. So I moved down there, and I'm rooming with my best friend. So that was really helpful for that kind of transition into college life. Um, and I'm currently on campus, so I'm in housing with five other um, straight men. And that experience has been very interesting for me because my best friend already knew that I was gay, but everyone else did it. And so I was kind of like in this limbo of coming out again. I think as queer individuals, this is a constant lifestyle for us is coming out multiple times and it doesn't get easy. Or after the first time I'd say like, it was harder, harder to figure out ways to come out to my roommates <laughs> and I was talking with my best friend I'm like do I come out and he's like yeah you probably should come out because he's like I don't know if some of them are going to be like not, not offended but like grossed out or like uncomfortable with you and I was like yeah I don't want to like make people uncomfortable like I want this to be a safe space for both queer and straight people I don't want to make them uncomfortable just because I'm gay but at the same time it's like but that that's kind of sad <laughs> you know that shouldn't exist but so I was figuring out ways to like creatively come out to them. Like, do I just come up, go up to them and say, I'm gay? Or, you know, like, how do I like get into that kind of like dialogue with them? Because I didn't really know them. And I just remember I got a pride flag and I put it in my room and I was like wearing a pride pin on my backpack. And so I was like kind of giving subtle hints. I was like, that's probably the best way to like kind of get a conversation starting. And I just remember we were at family home evening with, um, our room and then we have a room of girls that's usually how it goes you have like one or two or three apartments that are together for a family home evening group and you just go different activities every week and we went hiking one night and we wanted to like post on like social media all of us together and we wanted to like tag everyone and i was like someone suggested that we all should all follow each other on social media well in my social media bio i have a pride flag and my coming out post <laughs> And I was like, this is going to be so uncomfortable. So we all follow each other. And I just remember like accepting all of them. And I was just like praying that nothing like awful would happen. And nothing really like happened. Like no one like was like, oh, you're gay or like nothing really happened that night. And honestly, I don't know how like I'm trying to remember like how like I've talked with it with my roommates before. But it was just like, they just accepted it, like accepted it. And it was just normal. And like, we talked, like I talked to my roommates about guys all the time. <laughs> like, I swear like every other week, there's like a guy that, you know, I find on social media or saw on social media. I'm like, oh, he's cute. Like, it would be cool to like, go on a date or something. And I just talk about them with my roommates. Like, it's just, at least for me and my roommates, it's comfortable. Um, and they're just like, yeah, like that, you know, go for it. Or, you know, like, you just do you like they're really they're really open minded which has been very helpful for me just adjusting to BYU and then just constantly like sticking with the punches um, with BYU because I got there and um, we had rainbow day um, where you know people just all wear rainbow clothes and that was my first time like publicly like wearing rainbow Um, and that was so fun just to see um, I mean it wasn't exactly like flooded with rainbow at BYU, but there was a lot of, a lot more people than I thought. Um, 
and it was just amazing just to see so many people wearing rainbow and so many people like complimented me and were like, we love you and stuff like that. So that was a really amazing experience for me at BYU, um, especially with just everything. And then they lit the Y. Um, and so that was, I think I heard about that on my mission um, that they lit the Y and that was just like a sign for me, like, Oh, I can go there because you know, they, they lit the Y um, and then they did it again. And again, I felt so accepted and loved and um, I had a sense of community because they lit the Y. Um, and then I'd say with kind of like current things at BYU right now, <laughs> um, I, w- I would say this past February was a really hard month, I think for the queer community in general. And I think for me, I spent a lot of the time talking with my best friend about things about with my mom, with the rainbow collective, like at our meetings now, like we have like a 30 minute, like kind of like detox and just like, just chatting about our, our struggles, like what we're facing. Because realistically, all queer students at BYU are facing the same dilemma. We're all facing this hardship of not being able to be our full selves while facing, you know, conflicting policies against, you know, our sexuality. And, you know, we, we want to be there. We want to be receiving this education, but we don't feel loved and supported by administration. And, you know, several certain individuals like in church leadership, like we don't feel like we're heard or loved. And so that was hard. I think going through those months, those, these couple past months. And I think like what helps me the most is just like, just focusing on the positive things I've had at BYU. Like I'm receiving an excellent education. I'm surrounded by people that share similar values. Um, I don't have to deal with like a lot of other outside pressures, like heavy drinking and, you know, frats. And like, I don't have all these other outside influences that I would have at a other university. Um, but you know, I am facing, you know, marginalization and other things. So, I mean, you can take one or the other. Right. And so I think mostly for me, it's just focusing on the education that I'm receiving. It's cheap to be a BYU. I'm not paying a ton. I'm, I have so many friends at BYU from my mission and from high school. I've met so many amazing individuals. There's such an amazing community at BYU. Um, it surprised me. Like every single time I like meet a gay man that's at BYU, it's just remarkable just to talk with them and be like, we're all in this together, but we can be friends. You know, we can go do things together and it, you know, so works and coincides with the honor code. Right. Um, and so I think just focusing on those positives and just being in the moment for me, just like spending time with friends, like going on trips and um, like me and my best friend, like we go to in and out like once a week on a Friday night and just hang out together and watch a movie or we go shopping or thrifting. Um, just keeping my mind occupied and um, just stuff like that has been, I think, really helpful for me um, during those months. And I think also just having my safe spaces to go to like my parents, especially like I probably call my mom every other week and like, I really want to date or, you know, like I really wish this changed. And like, especially when the investigation from the federal government came out and I was, I got like a little hopeful. <laughs> I was like, Oh, like maybe this is going to spur something. And of course I knew that it would probably end in probably nothing happening. 
which is too sad. But at the same time, I think since then it's just spurred this constant dialogue. Like I still think we're still having this like conversation. And it's like, I think that's been very like vital actually for a lot of queer students. It's it's, it's getting us to be more active and more um, vocal and um, be able to like bring our voices to the administration. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what a lot of the queer clubs at BYU is trying to do is just be a voice for queer students. Like we're trying to change things at BYU so that our that the future generations don't have to deal with like exactly what I'm dealing with. And I'm not dealing with exactly what other older generations had to deal with. Um, it's like, it's changed a lot actually. Um, and so I think, yeah, just these past months at BYU, I mean, have been difficult. I mean, Rainbow Day, I was a part of that. And I made a bunch of stickers and pins. And we were forced to move off campus because we were demonstrating, according to BYU, having two or more people passing out uh, merchandise, (laughs) really, Um, constitutes demonstrations, I guess. Um, And so that was really rough to hear that we had to be moved off because previous Rainbow Days there was no problems, but this time, you know, the Y was blocked off. We were asked to move. And so we moved off campus peacefully. Like we didn't, you know, we didn't stir any feathers. Um, but it was really amazing to see how much support we still received while not being in like the flow of like traffic because we were by the Wilk, which has high concentration of students going in and out. But now we were south of campus but there's people driving by honking and waving. Um, there was, I was handing all these stickers to like straight people who wanted to support their friends. I had a girl come up to me and express that this is her first time out of the closet. And she was just so happy that we were still doing, you know, we were still handing out stuff, even though we were kicked off campus. And she was just like, this is why I stay. It's because people like you are trying to make a difference for us who, you know, are closeted or are struggling or, you know, are debating leaving BYU. It's like, I can actually be myself around you guys for at least one day, you know, of the semester, right? And that was really awesome for me to see that experience. And I mean, there's so many, but I think one other one that, I really enjoyed was an older guy, an older gentleman pulled up and he was just like, I feel so ashamed right now because I'm not wearing rainbow. (laughs) And he was just like, how can I support you guys? Like, I don't have anything, but how, how can I show my support? And so we just handed him a bunch of stickers and pins and we're like, give these to your family and friends. And he's like, I'm just going to go give these to all my coworkers. I'm on the way to work right now. And just experiences like that are just so have been so vital for me at keeping me at BYU because I'm I'm seeing these changes, you know, behind the scenes mostly. But I'm I'm doing I, I do see these changes being made and these experiences that we're having. And you know, obviously it's gonna be difficult if you choose to go to BYU. That's not an easy decision. But I think it's a decision that you need to prayerfully consider 
but it's a decision that I don't regret, which is kind of hard to say, but I don't regret it because I've just met these amazing individuals. And I'm like starting to see why I'm at BYU. They always talk about an orient, like the student orientation for freshmen. It's like, you need to figure out your why. Like, why do you belong at BYU? And I honestly think this is my why is I'm helping create change through my own personal experiences, whether it be big or small. And right now they're just really itty bitty tiny. But these changes are what are spurring conversations in my personal life and in the lives of others. Like, for example, <laughs> um, it was a couple of weeks before Rainbow Day and I sent something into like our family home evening group chat. And I was just like, I would love to have your support. Um, and we were just talking about, I like, we were just talking about just in general, like queer students or something. And then I asked them, I was like, so when did you guys know I was gay? <laughs> like, <laughs> we just went on this conversation and everyone's just chiming in. Oh, I knew once I followed you on Instagram or like, once I met you or like one of my roommates was like, oh, I passed your room one day and saw your pride flag. And I assumed. Um, and so like, there's like these conversations that are happening with, you know, individuals and, you know, they can be good conversations. I mean, obviously there, there's also like bad conversations, but for my, in general, I've mostly received positive feedback and positive. I've had positive experiences being gay um, especially at BYU. So I'm really grateful for that. Just a great podcast, Clayton. Um, sometimes doing podcasts with younger people, you can go a little deeper on parts of your story. I love you went as deep on your mission experiences, perhaps anybody's done in a while. And I thought that was just terrific because I think there's others that are facing their mission closeted or out and wondering how that's going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I think you just shared really wonderful principles and understanding and recognize you're going to have different experiences, perhaps from different leaders. I mentioned Shane Carpenter, Elder Carpenter, when he came out to his mission president in Anaheim, California, his mission president said, can you train the mission? That's um, really awesome. And can you do actually, zone conferences, zone Zoom meetings to help us teach LGBTQ and be more inclusive? And so instead of sort of saying this is a shameful part of you, this is actually a good, this helps us create design. We're glad you're here and we're glad. And he, you know, so I look at, there's personality differences, obviously, with just leaders and um, and you've saw the difference in just two personalities and how they handled that. And um, I think that's just the reality. When we know better, we do better. And I hope that this podcast goal isn't to, you know, throw anybody under the bus, but it's a safe place for you to share your experiences in a respectful way, what you've done. And so that we can all do better and improve the experience for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, what you did on your mission, you won't like this word. I think is heroic <laughs> because I think it's an incredibly difficult time to be an LDS missionary through COVID in New York, learning Spanish and, and then navigating your sexual orientation on, on top of that. And all the emotional capital you're, using to be straight teaching if that's the term you use mm-hmm. and i just recognize that missions are hard enough and you've got that added layer mm-hmm. that sort of you reached out to your parents and your mission president and um but thank you for your service um there's a lot of people in new york's lives that are better because of you and i think you know if god could take you to the top of the mountain help you see the totality of what you've done in new york 
I think it'll be a template for the rest of your life. I think that's duplicating it in BYU. It's a different situation. You're not a set-apart missionary. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, you have, um, you were doing some of the same things, bringing people to Christ and creating Zion and bringing belonging. And I think that's, I think you're wired to do that. I think you have a big heart and a compassionate heart and a forgiving heart and an inclusive heart. I loved, our, here's just some things I write down, listeners, as a, you know, I love that the day you came out to your mom, how you just love people more. Um, and you talked about that. You loved everybody. And I think, you know, I guess it's because you felt your mom's love for you and your love for you. So your capacity, because you loved, accepted this part about you and had somebody close in your life, your ability, which was already, I think, really good to love <laughs> others just increased. And I think that's a wonderful principle. I think um, if your parents are listening, this is a credit to you and the wonderful son you've raised. Um, This is a payday, I hope, for your parents um, just to hear their son, Clayton, and all the good that you've accomplished, the good you are, your honesty, um, the ways you're helping. Um, It's just, you know, you've got a great family and I think, you know, your credit to your family um, I just, you're in the middle of this space. I think you're, um, in some ways it'd be easier to be away from BOU, but I think you feel called to be there. And I think you will look back, you've got three years ahead of you, which is a long time, but I would guess if you came on the podcast, um, the month after graduation and told our listeners, and you're welcome to do that, this is yeah. what happened over the next <laughs> three years. You will have some painful experiences, but I think a totality of your experience there for you personally be positive. And I think the biggest thing you'll be able to do is just like that woman that came up to you on the street and said, I came out today and I feel like this is a safe place for me. And that's an incredible gift you're giving people because of what you're doing and your courage to be out and just helping other people feel that they can belong. And all the straight friends around you, if you're listening, the roommates that are just accepting you, that that wouldn't have happened in my day at BYU. Um, just the better understanding from straight people just support love accept be curious i love when straight roommates ask questions mm-hmm. and ask you about your experience yeah um versus just okay we'll tolerate you we're not going to talk about it but i think straight roommates do the best when they're curious and just say yeah. tell me about your hopes how does this navigate and for sure and i think you're at this point where you just accept this as part of who you are you're not trying to undo it this is who you are and i think you're at this point now, but I think over the next you know, rest of your lifetime, you'll look back and saying, I accomplished more on this earth life because of who I am than I ever could have accomplished in a, maybe an easier road. Mm-hmm. So I love what you're doing with Rainbow Collective. And if there's other people involved with that group, just said there's a lot of people that love you and support you. And, you know, I just, you use the word belong. <laughs> and that's a great gift you can give to other people to feel like they belong and they're needed and, and they're presence and contributions helps us create Zion. Mm-hmm. Zion, when I grew up, and you've been thinking about this a lot, listeners, and we're kind of um, at the end of the podcast time, I used to think, because I grew up in a very homogeneous um, Salt Lake City neighborhood in mm-hmm. the 70s, I thought Zion was everybody just being the same. <laughs> and now yeah. I feel different. Um, I really feel different. And you and you know people that are outside of a normal circle growing up are part of creating Zion. And um, that to me, then Zion is there's no poor among us. And so then we're in a better position to lift the hands of people 
who needs their hand lifted and take the gospel to people of the world. I love the reason you wanted to take the gospel people to LGBTQ people in New York. It's because you knew that that restored doctrine that I have a deep testimony of heavenly parents, the savior can heal them and give them hope and healing. I think the world is really wounded and we can bring a healing message. We being the missionaries. So I'm going to turn it back to you for just a a closing segment. If there's anything else you want to say, and then we'll both sign off. Yeah. I mean, you brought up um, Shane Comforter and that he, I actually saw his post while I was on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think that was also kind of like an added thing. I was like, Oh, like there's another gay missionary, like how many more, (laughs) you know, are out there. Right. Um, And I think what he's doing is amazing. And like, I just really wish like, you know, that second mission person I I had, you know, kind of, well, hopefully we'll see that one day or has seen it and kind of like has contemplated on like how, you know, he's reacted and I really hope that, you know, he's kind of figured out things and because I know, you know, there's going to be a lot more queer missionaries coming to New York City. I know at least a couple right now that are serving in New York City that have actually come out to me or shared that they're struggling. And um, I've had to tell them like, you know, you need to go to their sources right now because I don't feel that that mission president's exactly safe for you right now. I mean, maybe he is now, I don't know. Um, but I do know that there's gonna be hundreds more of queer missionaries. And I think, you know, obviously each mission president's gonna be different in how they handle things. But I think, you know, that mission president in California did an amazing job because, you know, there's so many just queer people and figuring out how to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ is a very difficult <laughs> thing to do. And it can be, you know, one misstep can be very damaging for them. So I think um, that dialogue, I think, needs to be, um, I mean, led in all missions would be amazing if there could be some kind of church source or I don't know, like how to deal with that. That'd be great. Um, And then I just had a little thing with roommates is actually one of my roommates, um, he's amazing um, at asking of like, certain things he says are okay. That's cool. Which is so amazing for me. Like I've heard a lot of things and a lot of things don't bug me. Um, like I don't get offended easily. I attribute that to my hard shell that I grew at New York, <laughs> but like, I don't get offended easily by like slurs or stuff like that. I just kind of brush it off and like, whatever. Um, but you know, there's certain things that, you know, growing up, you, you stay or just little derogatory things. And um, sometimes he'll catch himself saying something or he'll like joke around and I, I can't give an exact example, but um, like we were walking to class together and he said something. He's like, and we both laughed and he's like, Oh wait, like, I'm so sorry. Like, did that offend you? And it's like, Oh no, like <laughs> that's totally fine. He's like, please let me know. Cool. Like if I say anything and I'm like, of course, like, I'll let you know. Like, I'll let people know, like, that's not okay. Um, and I think that's just, like, a great experience I've had from a roommate, especially. And for any roommate, I guess, that's listening that has a queer individual in their apartment, I think the best thing you can do is be curious, of course. And, I mean, it takes courage to ask those questions, whether you're straight or queer, right? Um, and I think it's just such a needed dialogue, especially with, you know, roommates that you can trust. and they always ask me questions and I'm, I'm kind of an open book. So I'm, I'll, I'll open up to them, but um, 
but yeah, I think that's all. I think all I can just say is if you're still closeted, especially, I think the best thing for you to do is um, whether you do pray or, you know, you meditate, I don't know what form you do to connect to, you know, a deity or, you know, if you even do that, I think honestly, just seeking for what you need to do and don't feel like you have to publicly come out like that was a decision I made and it can have both positive and negative consequences, obviously. And I think you just need to go with what you feel is best. Like if you're more introverted, like, of course, you can just tell people you're gay on one-on-one or um, like I know several friends of mine who, you know, if someone asks if they're gay, they'll say they're gay, but they won't, you know, they don't have it on their social media profiles or um, stuff like that. So I think my advice is just figuring out how you kind of, you know, make decisions and, um, you know, just think about that. and. Um, Obviously, just go with what your gut feeling feels like. And if you feel like that's going to be a, you're in a healthy environment to do so, then do so. But, if, you know, obviously, if it's not a safe space for you, don't feel like you have to. Um, and then any, I guess, any queer students at BYU, um, I just want them to know that I love and support them, of course. And the Rainbow Collective is there for them. And there's several other organizations, other queer organizations. There's faculty members that love them. There's students and alumni that love them. Um, and we're all cheering you on. We're all going through it together. <laughs> and it gets better. And, um, you know, like, you're going to have the best time of your life after graduation, <laughs> hopefully. And um, it will be all worth it to receive the education that we're receiving. And so, um, I, yeah, I just share that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I love them. I love the way you close that way. Great podcast, Clayton Rasmussen, 21. You're really mature, thoughtful, you know, young man, man. Um, but what you've just shared here, I just hope you know there's some people that you shared some things that just what they needed to hear. In a very thoughtful, helpful way, I love your concept of straight spaces. And sometimes I feel impressed to give an invitation. And I think you've given some, but my invitation is just consider what we can do in our circle to make sure we're a safe space. Mm-hmm so that people know they can talk to us about the realities of their life. It's one of the greatest gifts we can give somebody is to feel they can be vulnerable to us and honor that vulnerability. And and you've had some really good experiences and some harder experiences, but creating safe places to me is what Christ did. It's part of the doctrine of our church. You don't have to compromise or sell anything out to create safe spaces. To me, it's pure ministering one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So this is Clayton Rasmussen. We'll put his a link to um, his personal Instagram page as well as the Rainbow Collective Instagram page in the show podcast description so you can connect with both of those. And um, Richard Austin, Clayton Rasmussen signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.